0: hello it's a fun video wasn't it don't you love our creative team and the superb work they do on these videos and these stage designs wow I love the good work they do what was the the fruit for joy there I missed it did you get it come on somebody no maybe there wasn't one maybe we missed it seeing none we'll move on Sorry about that. Come back around, Adrian. All right. Happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day weekend. You got some good plans for tomorrow? We're going to the state fair, <laughs> which I'm excited for, kind of. It's going to be 92 degrees, <laughs> but it'll be fun. Well, we are in this new message series titled Fruit for Every Day, and uh, looking forward to jumping right in. You know, my my sister-in-law likes to make pickles. She makes really, really good pickles, and she, uh, she really does it up when she makes pickles. She puts them in those mason jars that are really pretty, and she puts a label on them what kind of pickles they are whether they're sweet or dill or puts a little some some in it make a little spicy uh, she likes to put a ribbon on it and it just looks like a really really nice appearance and I like to eat her pickles and she'll give us these uh, jars of of mason jar pickles after she's made some and man I can down about two or three of those in about a minute But I've learned from her that they actually take quite a while to make. Did you know that? It takes like six or eight weeks or sometimes even more to make a really good pickle. So apparently you take these special kind of cucumbers and you slice them into spears. And then after doing that, you make this special brine with vinegar and some different spices and Some dill, and you can flavor them in different ways. And then you can take those cucumber spears and just kind of dip them into that brine, and then you got a pickle. No, if you do that, all you got is a baptized cucumber, right? (laughs) Tried that, it didn't work too well. You put them into the brine, you put them into the vinegar, you put them into the spices, and like six or eight weeks later, a pickle comes out. And it's this slow metamorphosis, if you will, that occurs, this transformation as the cucumber is bathed in all of the juice, and then after six or eight weeks, something different emerges. And it strikes me that the spiritual life is a little bit like that, though it takes a lot longer than six or eight weeks, doesn't it? You bathe yourself in Christ. You bathe yourself in the Spirit of God. You live in beauty. And slowly but surely, there is change from the inside out. What we would like is to kind of dip ourselves in. You know, get baptized, get saved, and then we're just different. And to some degree, we are different, but because of that moment, we have the Holy Spirit in us But I think sometimes we expect that all of our old vices internally will turn into virtues, and they don't, do they? You've got to be bathed in it. And again, it'll take a lot longer than six or eight weeks, but slowly but surely, as we are dwelling in Christ, as we are living in the Holy Spirit, we start to get changed. And we don't get more bitter, we don't get more sour, we start to get sweeter. And it looks like this. As we begin to take on a life with God... Living in the Holy Spirit of God, it looks like Galatians 5, and 23. I wonder if you'd read these two beautiful verses out loud, out loud from the screen with me. Please join me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I like the word patience better. We'll use that from here on out. Love, joy, peace, patience this is the fruit of the spirit this is the fruit of living with God it's the beautiful kind of life that we long for we began talking about what this would look like to live like this not just on Sundays but more importantly every other day throughout the week started talking about that a bit last Sunday today we're going to begin well with the fruit of the spirit called joy we're not skipping the fruit of the spirit called love we believe in that too And we will come back to that in a few weeks for a really good reason. But today we're going to start with the fruit of the Spirit called joy. And to get there, I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bible or open up your phones if you wish to Psalm 16. And Psalm 16 is about dead center in your Bible. And uh, it's fine if you use a phone or a tablet, however you do it. Uh, I'll be reading from my New International Version, Psalm 16. This is a psalm of King David. If you go to Job go a little bit further to the right if you go to proverbs go back a little bit to the left and there's 150 psalms and the psalms are kind of interesting in that God inspired these writers to write these prayers up to God and that's what the psalms are they are prayers or they are songs to God or sometimes they're really even kind of like journal entries In which God inspires a man to write to God. And what we learn from the Psalms frequently is that you can bring any emotion that you might be experiencing today to God. And the emotion that David is going to bring to God as he writes Psalm 16, this time the emotion is joy. Follow along with me. Psalm 16, verse 1. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your holy, faithful one see decay. I'm not going to preach really on verse 10 here today, but I believe, and just kind of an aside, verse 10 is a prophecy written a thousand years ahead of time, a thousand years before Jesus, to speak of Jesus. That God would not allow his holy one, his faithful one, the one and only one who was faithful, to see decay. That was Jesus. He died on the cross. He went to the grave. But he did not see decay. God rose him again far from the grave. God didn't let his faithful one see decay. Good message for another day. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures, at your right hand. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for this beautiful psalm and for the encouraging word for us that you would invite us to joy. You would fill us with joy in your presence. The simple truth is, some of us today are not experiencing joy for all different kinds of reasons, and uh, and we would like all of us would like Lord to experience more of your joy. And so, Father, would you please teach us today? I don't want to give another talk. Who cares about that? We need to be taught by you. We need your scriptures to be deep in our hearts. So we invite that you would teach us today, Lord. And uh, we ask, God, that you would put us on a pathway to a little bit more joy in our lives. Through Christ we ask. Amen. As we launch into these nine fruit... Uh, I think it's important for us to note Fa, from the very beginning that if we desire to grow in these nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, there will be, again and again over these next nine weeks, certain things that we are responsible to do ourselves and other things that we are dependent on God for. This is a key overarching idea Fa, for the series as a whole. To grow spiritual fruit, we are both responsible agents... And we are dependent on God. There are certain things that we must do if we want to become people of love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. God has made us responsible agents that we have to step into certain behaviors to put ourselves in God's means of grace in certain ways to take on these beautiful virtues. And yet at the same time, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to bring the increase, to change us from the inside out that we would actually become these kind of people. You see, what the Holy Spirit would want to do is tend to us at the very roots of our lives. He wants to be kind of like the strength and conditioning coach that would strengthen us so that we are strong when we go out to the world. And he tends to the roots. And the result of being tended to at the roots is good fruit grows from the branches of the tree. What are we responsible for? What is God responsible for? What are we dependent on God for? It's kind of like this. Noted this analogy last week. You have a sailboat. You bring it out to the lake. You put up the sails. You're responsible to do that if you want to go sailing. But you don't go anywhere unless the wind comes, right? And so also in the spiritual life, we're responsible to do some things, but we won't go anywhere unless we are dependent on God to bring about change in our lives. What are we responsible for? What are we dependent on? I really encourage you to process that question well with your life group this week and over the coming weeks as we look at these different nine fruits of the Spirit. Um, For us to be changed over these next nine weeks, you're really going to, again, want to bathe yourself in this. It won't be enough just to touch on it on Sunday morning. I really want to encourage life groups this fall, I don't ask this a lot, but I want to encourage life groups this fall to process through the nine fruit of the Spirit with your life group as you're study time as your discussion time if you're not in a life group right now you want to get in one for the fall we have life group sunday coming up next sunday but even if you can't get in one right now you can go through these life group discussion questions in the back of your handout each and every sunday as a family and if you bathe yourself in the fruit of the spirit at least through two touches each week you're going to grow in that you ask yourself this question this week what does god make me responsible for if i want to grow in joy and how am i dependent on the holy spirit if i want to grow in joy now as we jump into this fruit of the spirit let's just admit on the front end that some people are more joyful by nature than others isn't that true some people seem to hit the jackpot and i ain't one of them and some people are just more joyful by nature than others the last thing that i want to do today is make you feel bad about the temperament that god has given you make you feel guilty for not being an inherently joyful person i don't want to do that i mean there's some people who are naturally like tigger they just jump around through life and they seem like they're unflappable and other people are naturally kind of like eeyore And they're not that joyful. But even as I don't want to punish you, please please hear me. You can grow in joy. Jesus invites us to a life of abundance. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. It's one of his purpose statements. It's one of the reasons that he came to earth is to give us life in abundance in this life, not just when we die. And so whatever our natural temperament is, we can grow in joy. There are things that we can do that we are responsible for doing to grow in joy. We may not become a tigger, but we can grow in joy from right where we are. Would somebody shout amen to that? Man, we can grow in joy. Let's do it. Here's a few considerations from Psalm 16 for how we might do just that. I I just want to teach this morning, give you a few considerations for how you might take up the mantle for growing your responsibility for taking hold of the joy that God wants to give you, and a few considerations for how we would remind ourselves how we are dependent on God to bring us joy. First, I'm responsible to set my focus every day on number one. And I am dependent on God to bring me joy in his presence as I set my focus on number one. David was a man who set his focus on number one every day. And by number one, I don't mean me. By number one, we mean God. He set his focus on God each and every day. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 16. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you... I have no good thing. Wow. Like, could you imagine saying that and really meaning it? You're my good thing. You're my number one. Apart from you, I don't have good. It's you. You're my number one. Look at him in verse 8. He does the same thing here in verse 8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, my gaze is fixed. On the Lord. I keep my eyes focused on number one. With Him at my right hand, with Him at my place of strength, because I rely on Him daily, I will not be shaken. This is a man who knows who his number one is. He knows that it is God, and he knows that his responsibility on a daily basis is to align the priorities of his life with God's priorities for his life. Every day to align the two to say God would you have your will done in my life God would you use me here's a really good prayer to begin our days with God I'm available to you God use me today God do you want to use me on Monday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday God use me today because I am yours you are my number one we're responsible for that we're responsible to say the week begins on sunday like this ain't the end of the weekend this isn't the end of the week today is the beginning of the week it's from a really great sunday in which we worship god with our heart soul mind and strength in which we take in his word in which we get inspired to live for a better monday you see you begin with a great Sabbath in which you are worshiping God, remembering the Lord's gifts to us, and then you're springboarded from that into a different kind of Monday. You, you, you seek God first. You focus on the Lord first, even with your money. You say, God, you gave me everything that I have, and I realize it's not just for my pleasure and my enjoyment. It's also to give back to what you want done in the world and scripturally that's called a tithe offering the first 10 percent of what god has given it's this idea of first fruits god has given me all and i give back to you god for what you want done in the world now we're not a rule-based company here at carney e free church that's not the way we go about it but there is something very profound about saying my time is yours my money it's ultimately yours my energy ultimately i place you as the very first thing in my life i love the way saint augustine the early church father put it in the fourth century he said this love the lord your god with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your mind with all of your strength and then go do whatever you want get this right and the rest of the pyramid falls into place You start with this, you get this right, you focus on him as the number one. That is our responsibility, and the rest of life falls into place because we are following him across all of his commandments when we love him first. Now, in response, here's what God does. Verse 11, you'll see up on the screen, it goes like this. He gives us joy in his presence. Psalm 16 says, You make known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand God dispenses to us eternal pleasures at his right hand I want to encourage you well we have these little verse cards and uh, they're available online they'll be on Facebook and Instagram you can get them online we also had some after the first service uh, out of the journey wall but first service people were greedy and they took them all uh, we didn't have quite enough which is my fault I didn't think our congregation would be so excited about memorizing these ten verses on these scriptures over these next nine weeks one Galatians 5 22 and 23 the fruit of the spirit and one verse each for each of the next nine fruit today it's joy Psalm 16 at your right hand are pleasures forevermore you fill me with joy all right since we're all out who wants this one all right right here buddy catch that ah that a boy all yours okay so we will have more next week we'll make some more of those and that's a powerful way of course for, for us to dwell in the spirit of God as well to dwell in the scriptures that we would memorize the other scriptures that we would meditate perhaps on these 10 verses over these next 10 weeks and we'll see what God does in us along the way we're responsible for focusing on number one God brings joy in his presence as we do so joy is the greatest of pleasures in this world and enjoyment of god is the greatest of all joys he's the one that created joy he's the one that created all that is good and beautiful and lovely in the world he's the one that created relationships he's the one who did it all so it's in his presence that we actually find joy Now, many people fail to distinguish the difference between happiness and joy. And happiness is good. I'd like lots of happiness in my life, too, just like you would. But happiness tends to be based on things going kind of well around me. Things are well with my family. The circumstances of life are pretty good. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on Jesus. Joy is based on a settled condition of my soul that i am with christ no matter what valleys i might go through in life he is still with me he is still for me and in his presence is joy forevermore joy is based on a vibrant unchanging relationship with jesus through the valleys of life happiness is the huskers won yesterday joy is still there when the huskers loose maybe that won't happen this year but it probably will joy is still there like your soul isn't rattled I mean I know it's just football but like whatever it might be for you your soul is not rattled because such and such didn't go well yeah you might go through intense grief but you know that Christ is still with you through whatever challenges you, you might face I love the way C.S. Lewis put it in his beautiful essay, The Weight of Glory. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's our condition as a culture. As a culture, we run after lesser things. We accept little pleasures, little gratifications, little happiness, little fun when we are offered true, lasting joy. You think about this even just with the the magnitude, the proliferation of the entertainment industry in our culture. Think about how vast the entertainment industry is in our culture right now. Like we live at the only time in all of history that you can waste away your entire life flipping through channels on your computer or your TV. It's unprecedented. And sadly, many people are choosing to live that way. Please hear me clearly, I'm not opposed to leisure. I'm not opposed to entertainment. We all need some entertainment. We all need some leisure. But we are entertaining ourselves in our culture today to death. Culture wide, we are entertaining ourselves to death. Here's what happens when we constantly are surrounded by entertainment we get bored. Boredom increases when you're constantly looking for joy in lesser things, little forms of entertainment. Like, we have more pleasures at our disposal than any generation in all of history, and yet at the same time, isn't it interesting, the depression is higher than it's been in generations. That people, by and large today, you ask them, they're more unhappy than they were 10 years ago. I think that's in part because we substitute the real, true, lasting beauty that God would have for us through his presence through great fellowship, rich conversations with real friends, through wonderful family relationships, all those things that are intended to bring us joy, we have this tendency in our culture today to substitute those for lesser things, including but not limited to way too much entertainment. Much as a rainbow or a sunset is intended to kind of like prick our senses, the presence of God Being with him. Meditating on those verses. Looking up at the cross. Worshiping him. Dwelling in the scriptures. Enjoying rich fellowship. All those things are intended to warm our hearts in a lasting and abiding way. You know, one of the things that I've been doing recently, and particularly because I went through a time recently, I'll talk about another time, but I went through a time recently where I just didn't experience much joy. And felt a high level of frustration in my life, and uh, the details aren't really important right now. But I was just convicted to go back to an old practice, which I got away from, which is this: meditating on special narratives that really speak to my soul from the Gospels. And as I go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and looking at specific narratives, I would begin to imagine myself in those gospel stories. Like just place myself in them and so when I'm hurried and anxious recently I've been sitting on Luke 11 where Jesus goes up to Mary and Martha and I'm a Martha and Martha's saying Jesus won't you pay more attention my sister's not doing anything and Jesus says to Martha you're, you're worried about many things You're concerned about so many things. You're anxious about so many things, Martha. Adrian, you're worried about many things. Adrian, you're concerned about so many things. You're anxious about so many things. But Adrian, just one thing is necessary right now. It's not serving me. It's dwelling with me. And Mary has chosen the better part to dwell with me. And that's the one thing that's necessary and just to imagine myself in that once again and ask Jesus would you please speak to me right where I am in this spot I tell you it warms our hearts it's intended to do in his presence is joy I better move on I'm responsible second to praise God for what I have I am responsible to praise God for what I have I am dependent on God for contentment with what I have this is my, re- my responsibility to give thanks to God for what I do have thanksgiving is my portion that I am responsible for I don't have as much as some people I have more than other people can I give God thanks you don't have as much as some people you have more than many other people can you give God thanks in that pay no attention to who you have more than pay no attention to who you have less than all of that is just looking side to side and we know that as long as we're looking side to side we are not looking up and contentment will not be found as we look side to side. The truth is, comparison, looking side to side, is a thief of joy every time. Comparison is the thief of joy. Contentment is found in giving thanks to God with the good things that he has indeed, that he has indeed given to us. And thankful people are joyful people. Listen to what God does in response to David's contentment verses 5 and 6, he says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What's that called? That's called contentment. In my situation, in the lot that I've been given, in the portion that I have, within the boundary lines of my life, I have a delightful inheritance. Therefore, I can be content now some might think that's easy for a king to say and I get it like the king has a lot of stuff but if you've studied your Bible if you study your Old Testament you know that David did not have an easy life did he it was his son Solomon who built the temple and it was his son Solomon who built the great palace it wasn't David it was his son Solomon and then it was his son Solomon who broke his heart because he chose not to follow God's commands and he took Israel way off course and it wasn't only Solomon that broke his heart it was also his son Adonijah and not only Adonijah it was also his son Absalom who broke his heart and also his son Amnon who broke his heart and also the death of a newborn baby that broke his heart And David went through many wars and great, great loss, and yet he learned through it all to set his gaze on his Father in heaven, and he learned to praise God in the valleys, and that bore in him this beauty called contentment. Contentment is this beautiful piece of joy that says, Mmm, my life ain't perfect, but I got some life. Mmm, my church ain't perfect. But I'm thankful for my church. Contentment is this beauty that says my body isn't perfect anymore. As if it ever was. But I got a healthy body. Or I don't have a very healthy body. But I thank you, God, for the health that I do have. My wife, she isn't perfect. But I thank you, Lord, for my wife. And she could say my husband isn't perfect. But I thank you, Lord, for my husband. I may not be able to afford steak for dinner tonight, but I thank you, Lord, for spam for dinner. That's contentment. You praise God in the valleys. You praise God for what you have, and that cultivates a deep, abiding joy in our lives. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We choose thanksgiving. We choose to dwell in God's presence to make him our number one. And then finally, I am responsible to confess my sin, and I am responsible to turn from my sin. From that, God is the one. We are dependent on God to forgive us our sin and to restore us to joy. Do you think God is obliged to forgive you? He's not. He chooses to forgive you. We are dependent on God for forgiveness who, out of love, chooses to forgive us when we are contrite and humble in spirit. We are dependent on Him every day for forgiveness and restoration of joy. Some of us in this room today are lacking joy because we've harbored sin. Let me say that again. Some of us in this room today, I don't know who, but I just imagine a room this size, Perhaps you're watching online. We're lacking joy today because we've harbored sin in our hearts. Verse 4 says, Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Those who run after sin will suffer more and more. You break this down sin is just a false God. And this is what false gods do. They promise something that they cannot deliver. That's the nature of all false gods. And so also sin promises pleasure, and it immediately gives pleasure, but it ends in pain, doesn't it? Every single time, sin promises pleasure, but it ends in pain. Now what I'm not saying is that you are suffering today, but because of your sin. All of us will suffer, and the rain pours on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And that happens sometimes to us and it has nothing to do with sin. So I'm not saying that if you're suffering today it's because of your sin. But I am saying this, all sin leads to suffering. Either for us or for others, likely for both. Those who run after sin will suffer more and more. Years later in his reign, King David sinned big time. You probably know the story. He had an awful affair Then he began to rationalize his affair. Then he began to develop a plot on how he could hide his affair. None of it worked. Eventually he came face to face, looked in the mirror, and he realized how great my sin is. He stopped rationalizing what he was doing. And then he prayed about it. He wrote about it in Psalm 51. This is what he said. He said, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right, O God, in your verdict, and you are justified when you judge. Wow. Wow. That is a heart after God that says, I did it. I am responsible. I must own up to it, accept the consequences, and turn from it. And slowly but surely, as David processed through that with the Lord, he began to experience the Lord's forgiveness, the Lord's joy once again. And by the end of Psalm 51, as he's writing out this journal, to God, Psalm 51, 11, and 12 goes like this. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me once again. And friends, this is the beauty of what our God does each and every time that we admit our sin and we turn from it. He restores us. He gives us forgiveness. And then he grants us joy once again. Even after all of the wickedness that David did in that moment, he experienced the consequences for his sin and the consequences were great and that is true. But he was forgiven by God and he was restored once again to the joy of his salvation by God as he took up the mantle of confession and admittance that I have failed your standard, God. God. Would you please forgive me? I am on my knees, not looking to the left or the right. I see the ways that I personally have failed. Would you forgive me? And he's faithful every time. And we got to allow the weight of this to settle into us. If you're harboring a spirit of bitterness, you won't experience joy. God doesn't allow it. If you're living in white lies and half-truths, you won't experience joy. If you're harboring a spirit of greed or unforgiveness or covetousness for other people's stuff, those things are against the will of God, and so he will not give you joy. You will not experience joy. It simply cannot coexist With envy or greed or lying or an affair or any of those kinds of things. And so the right path is to fall upon your knees, to look in the mirror and say, God, you have judged right and it's true. I have missed the mark. Would you forgive me? And He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins each and every time to restore you to the joy of your salvation. And in his presence, is fullness of joy, at his right hand, are pleasures today and forevermore. Would you pray with me as we prepare to receive communion? Lord Jesus, as we look up at the cross for just a moment here this morning, We, uh, we recognize once again how far you are willing to go even for us. When we had failed in so many ways, me included, I have so much stuff in my background, I have so much stuff even in the past month, if I were honestly to look at my life, that I have sinned against you in my thoughts, my words, and deeds by things that I have done and by things that I have failed to do, I haven't loved you with my whole heart. I haven't made you my number one and I just have to admit that, God. I wonder if there's anyone else in this room that would have to admit that right now. I haven't made you my number one. And for that, I'm sorry. Would you just admit that to God right now in the quietness of your heart? Or it could be for you that You've mostly been focusing on the things that you don't have rather than giving thanks for the many things that you do have. You've been focusing on the way things aren't right rather than focusing on the way things are right. You've chosen to meditate on what is ugly as opposed to meditate on what is beauty. And so you have no joy. Would you just admit that to God right now? But perhaps as we come to the communion table, you would have to admit that I've sinned against a friend of mine. I've sinned against another person. I've, I've hurt someone in my family. I've failed to love the poor. I've mocked someone. I've gossiped. I've been bitter and greedy. I've harbored a spirit of unforgiveness in me. I've been lustful, I've been prideful, whatever it might be. There is no sin that is found in you that is not common to the rest of us. Every one of us are in the same boat, God. We are needy for you. So we confess our need to you right now. Father, as we do business with you, we ask that you would forgive us. Oh, would you restore us to joy once again? Would you help us to look with the cross and see, Lord, that you truly love us, that you actually forgive us in the midst of all of our sin, that you do not hold our shame against us, you do not hold our guilt over us, but you choose to forgive us when we actually bend our knee to you. So, Father, we do so right now. and We invite you to do what God alone can do, Give us, grant us your joy. By the power of the name of Jesus, we ask in faith.